Hey, it's Dylan Flynn from the show that you're listening to. My audio is a mess this week, and it's bad enough that I feel like I should come on here and acknowledge it before the show even starts. It's going to be the worst thing you've ever heard in your life. It's going to make you miserable. You're going to hate this episode. Hopefully not really, but if I set the bar that low, maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised. I guess the room that I'm in has really terrible acoustics. I'm going to fix it by next week. Also, in the middle, there was some static, and I did some digital trickery to remove it, and you're left with, like, a weird bubbling noise. But that doesn't last too long. Anyway, enjoy the show! Welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for August 7th. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickraff. Yes, Trevor. We are back. We we are we reformed our, our two-man Voltron. We did. How are you feeling? Much better. I tried to I tried to yell extra hard at, for my intro just so people would know that I'm back up at fighting shape. Just so potential usurpers who are like looking to bump me off and, and become the new co-host know that I'm that I'm Back to 100%. And I obviously shouldn't be planning on going solo full-time anytime soon. Yeah, I was a little bit bummed to have missed that Damon Elvarn interview, although... We, 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 won't, we won't talk about that. The solo, are, the solo episodes are non-canonical, I think. Oh, okay, fair enough. The show. Well, I will say that I enjoyed all of that Hallelujah Monkeys fan fiction that happened in my absence then. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But now we're back. To the regular show, let's let's get moving. You want to? Um, we got some fun stuff to talk about uh, in the news today. Do you want to? You want to get to that? Let's get to a real proper news segment. Proper. Trevor, Gorilla, it's award season, I guess. Gorillas have been nominated for two Q awards. You'll remember, of course, Q Magazine um, did that big sort of coming out party feature for for Phase Four. All the magazines kind of blend together for me. But Q sure. did have the huge profile where, like, we learned about why Damon and Jamie fell out with each other. It had that huge cover. And, okay. And... Okay, yeah. So now they're up for two Q Awards. I think they're uh, Best Album for Humans. Yep. And I was a little surprised with this. Best Song, We Got the Power. Although apparently that is the, like, runaway successful single over in Europe, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the Europeans, and I think especially the Brits, really, got, that one's the one that's on their radar. They got weird taste over there. They do have weird taste. Uh, this is kind of a reader's choice thing, so you can vote for gorillas in these categories, Trevor. you got to go to uh, com slash Q-awards slash vote. Uh, if you go through it, it's just like five categories, and there's some some gorillas adjacent acts that you can vote for as well. And then at the end, it's going to say, like, put your name and your email here. That's just if you want to do a raffle. You can skip that part and still vote. But go go support gorillas for the Q You awards. might even say that you've got the power to help gorillas win these awards. <laughs> I would. i definitely say that. <laughs> uh, Trevor, four new G-mixes have been posted to Spotify. Ring the alarm. The highlights include Whatever by some obscure-ish legacy act. And I didn't even look at these this time by Who Has Time to Listen to 40 Songs Worth of Playlist Once a Month. I don't. Who knows, yeah. I, but there's some really... there's we're, 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 we're a little panicky about the news uh, this week because we just got some pretty pretty exciting updates from Jim Hewlett's Instagram. No, right? from Gorillaz's Instagram. Oh, the Trevor. fucking official one? Jesus. 
it's really really DEFCON 5 here. So I've been scooped twice before on the show, uh, Trevor. What I mean by that is we finished recording an episode and I started editing an episode and then something huge has happened. Uh, the two times that come to mind are when the Gorillas app had like an, an unexpected early release. Oh, and then the second time were the North American dates, uh, which was a painful scoop. Yeah, like, painful I'm in the loss. middle of editing an episode and all of a sudden the whole tour is announced. As a blowout. Yeah. I'm so paranoid that that's about to happen with the strobite video, Trevor, that I'm going to be working on this episode and it's going to drop. But okay, let's let's look at the evidence, okay? Sure. Exhibit A, uh, a radio edit of strobite has been released onto streaming services and digital storefront, uh, which which reduces the song's runtime by about sixty-eight seconds, Trevor. It loses. That's a that's a chunk. That's a minute. I know. It loses the uh, the slow section and the and the Damon section. Really, that's like my favorite part of the song. Yeah, but have you ever encountered a, a radio edit that you enjoy? They all suck. Yeah, what that's do you true. Do? Actually, I kind of like the Stylo radio edit. I can't remember what it is. It takes most Def's verse out of. Uh, it takes the first one out, and it just has him coming at the end. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. I remember that kind of. Yeah. Yeah, they, there was also a really terrible Dirty Harry one, I think, that, that omitted Booty Brown's verse entirely. <laughs> you know, now that you mention that, I vaguely kind of remember that. That exhibit B. I need to describe the ISRC registry. Do you really? Do you really? Because I saw, I saw this in our notes, and I was like, all right. Yeah, I can do it. it it's kind of fun. Maybe All it'll. Right. Well, I want to shout out a particular kind of gorillas nerd. There's reasons to talk sure. about it. Sure. So the ISRC is the International Standard Recording Code. It's kind of like the ISBN, which is the book number. You know, every book you have has a little number. You can look it up on the internet. Um, but for songs, and not every band religiously posts everything they put out onto ISRC registry, gorillas always do. And so a lot of the the news that is leaked out about upcoming gorillas releases, I, I remember the the uh, delu- the super deluxe tracks. Isn't this how we originally learned all the track titles from humans and everyone was like, ah, oh, now they're fake because there's like a song called Sex Murder Party. Yeah, I think that's, that's also, that's an ISRC <laughs> thing too. Okay. So the ISRC is not set up for you to easily peruse and find that kind of thing. It's just for the industry. But uh, Gorillaz always uploads new listings when they have something coming out like imminently, like very, very shortly. And some true troopers within the fandom, like once a day, will browse through the several pages of hundreds of entries each that Gorillaz have on the ISRC registry to eagle-eyed look for new things on it. God bless you. The Lord's work. God bless you, fine young men and women uh, who, who do this for us. And they just put up a new one, Trevor, for the the video listing of Strobe Light. All right, so, here we go. And by the way, album runtime, album length runtime. So we're not getting this edit uh, in video. No worries about that. If I didn't see, if I didn't get some visual accompaniment to that quiet part, I I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, okay, so this is here's the real shit, Trevor. The real shit. Exhibit C: The Gorillas Instagram this morning as, as we were getting ready to record posted a short video preview of the strobe light video. This one was a Peven Everett dancing in a circle. I believe he was singing the the second line in the chorus. What's that one again? Uh, if the light, your yeah, life is yeah, eaten. Yeah. 
Right. It, first of all, I love the visual aesthetic of this video that we've seen so far. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. That was a nice little clip they threw up there. But this is not some Jamie Hewlett, this is what I'm working on Instagram post. This is the gorilla's Instagram. Yeah, this is, it's coming. It's imminent. It's going to drop. And then, Trevor, while I was putting this notes document together, they put another one out. I didn't look at this one. Let me let me take a look at that one real quick. Yeah, go look at that one I'm right looking, now. I'm looking in, in real time. It's it's wacky. It's uh, I believe we know that the person in this getup is uh, Remy Kabaka. Interesting. With the with the shutter shades on, uh, and he's sort of getting punched by a boxing glove. There's a, there's some wacky animated stars when he gets hit. Should be a fun time. Do you think uh, Do you think we're gonna get a sound effect for that in classic Hewlett fashion? Yes, yes. I hope. I hope <laughs> that it won't feel like a Jamie Hewlett video unless there's a bunch of unnecessary Foley work happening yeah. over the song. Yeah. <laughs> to me, this just this. I have a, a bad omen that this all means. I'm gonna make this fucking episode, and this video is gonna be out, and I'm not gonna be able to talk. But you know what? Either way. I'd be shocked if next week we don't we don't review this strobe light video. Oh, totally. This week for sure, if not within the next two hours. Okay, okay, that's the news. That's the news. It's time to um, why don't we uh pick back pick our copies of uh, Rise of the Ogre back up? Let's reconvene the Hallelujah Monkeys book club. Calling it to order. Drums are fall heavy like anvil weight. Higher than the skyscape, go cheese. Order, order, please. Run, Joe, run. There are criminals behind you. Sidewinders and snakes, your moves define you. Remind you how I wish my brother Dell was here. Catalog originals, the experts clear. Trevor, I've got a, I've got a, a nice steamy brewed tea here. I'm wearing an afghan. There's a roaring fire in front of me. I'm ready to talk about literature. Yeah, you know, you called out sick to um, our, uh, our, our book report presentation last week, but uh, now it's time to finally turn in our work and get our grade. Let me just tell you, Trevor, I dropped out of college several times. I don't like homework. I graduated. I'm a, I'm a college-educated adult. <laughs> and then I have the worst, like, combination uh, of personalities in me, Trevor, where the one thing that I hate more than doing work is doing bad work. So I'm like this unmotivated perfectionist, you know? Constantly, in the preparation for these episodes, I heard, like, the struggle within my mind of, like, these discussion questions aren't good enough versus like why the fuck do you care over and over again <laughs> that's that's literally my day job so we're picking up with part two of the book this week last week we uh we completed part one it took us all the way from the early days of the band up through recording the self-titled and uh kind of left us off after their adventures in hollywood uh, resulted in Murdoch leaving the band. Yes, and, and smartly, Cass Brown split that book down the middle between phase one and two, so uh, ostensibly we're going to be talking about what, what you and I consider to be peak gorillas. Totally, uh, yeah, phase two. Here we go. But before we get to uh, the story picking back up, we've got a couple little uh, couple little sections that aren't exactly that. We've got a collection of every um, magazine cover the band was on. Which is cool. Which is that's a, that's a neat little thing. I really love the the influences map. Oh yes, I w I wanted to talk to you about that. I think it's I don't know. I spent like more time on these pages than I think anywhere else in the book. <laughs> yeah, probably me too. I think it's really cool. Like right in the middle, there's a, a stretch where they all convene. Like you've got Murdoch. Um, the way it's like laid out is every character has a line with a different color, and it just kind of works its way through all these influences and so shows like who likes what kind of music. Yeah, and it's, and it's laid out to kind of look like the London tube system. Yes, uh, yeah. 
the color coding and so you know it looks like you're looking at a, at a complicated subway map kind of yeah in the know? middle there's this one stretch where they all um convene and i wanted to say who those were it's um phil specter yes prince yes abraham ferrer yes and bob marley this seems like a a, a really good you know fundamental elemental gorillas influence list you know what i mean and then on the top there's another stretch where they all convene again except for murdoch yeah who are the bands that that murdoch doesn't like but noodle russell and two day do there's um there's marvin gay mm -hmm. jimmy cliff ray barretto yeah rayuchi sakamoto mm -hmm. brian eno the sugar hill gang and uh de la soul de la soul like come on murdoch <laughs> yeah you know what i mean I know Pasta News still owes you five pounds, but come on. Come on. But picking this story back up with uh, Chapter 7. A Season in Hell. Subheading. Murdoch Goes to Mexico. Summary. Murdoch has to Tijuana for some R&R, &R, pays his brothel tab with bad checks, and gets sentenced to 30 years in La Mesa State Prison. So begins uh, kind of a theme, I guess, this episode, Trevor, is that w a lot of what we're doing is going to be retracing what, we, what we've already done in We Are the Dury. Yeah, this is where we get into dirty territory. Occasionally, sometimes it's just replicated word by word. Yeah, every now and then. Usually, you get, you know, new stuff along the way. We meet a couple of, we meet a, a handful of lore characters in this chapter. We do. We meet his, um, we, we meet his, um, his cellmates. There's Pedro Ears Lopezzo, although his ears are admittedly not his defining feature. Yeah. And there's also uh, Carlos Three-Faced Benito. Yes, and then, of course, you can forget Cortez the Raven, his jailbird. Of course, yeah, this is where he meets him. You know, Jamie Hewlett, art imitating life, perhaps, <laughs> with his own raven. I don't know if his name is Cortez. I certainly hope that it is. Uh, and then Murdoch has even issued a new name in this chapter, Prisoner 3180089999. Now, I just want to point out something, Trevor. I, as I was reading, I was taking notes, and I... I wrote down, if you flip this over on a calculator, it'll say 666 booby, and then Murdoch pointed I it also out did. right after. And then he says it, yeah. <laughs> good to know. Good to know that we're all, we're eagle-eyed about calculator humor. Yeah, so that's that's what Murdoch gets up to. He goes to jail. Then we have um, Russell Hobbs. The no, 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 no. Have you gotten so soon? I have a discussion question for you. Oh, right, yeah, okay. I forgot they were section by section instead of chapter by chapter because you just love making so much work for yourself let's do it <laughs> similar to murdoch charlie sheen and jerry springer famously wound up in legal trouble after writing checks to illegal brothels uh why don't you rank these three men in order of intelligence we got murdoch we got charlie sheen and who is the third one jerry springer in terms of intelligence jerry springer is one he was a mayor he was a mayor at one point murdoch is <laughs> Jerry Springer, Charlie Sheen, Murdoch. Murdoch, not as smart as Charlie Sheen. Well, I don't think so. I don't think he would be. <clears throat> Do you remember uh, when that that ex cop like flipped out and started shooting people, the sniper in California? No. I guess in his manifesto, he made a lot of references to Charlie Sheen, and so Charlie Sheen like recorded a video with the help of the of the Los Angeles police, where he was like. Hey, really liked your manifesto. Glad you had so many nice things to say about me. Please give me a call. <laughs> you can you can find me. <laughs> who's the best um who's the best public figure to leave lots of references to in like your notebooks and stuff before you go on a shooting spree? Now like if you were if you were to go if you were to go like all the dude who like killed John Lennon, 
what album would you have like tons of copies of on cassette in your jacket when you did it? What's the Ed Sheeran album that beat humans in the UK? <laughs> it would be that one. <laughs> Just leave them scratching their heads forever. Yeah. Yeah. Subheading, Russell Hobbs, the breakbeat breakdown. Summary, Russell is down and out. The last gorilla in L.A. Meanwhile, we Jimmy Manson's cult turned sinister, and the Grim Reaper finally comes for Dell. Also, Ike Turner nurses Russell back to health. Maybe. Maybe. Polar Bear and Crocodile, we meet them in this chapter, Trevor. Uh, yeah, we do. As per Russell, they are decent people. <laughs> but but maybe he's not the best judge, because he does shack up with Ike Turner, noted white beater. <laughs> yeah, and he's like literally crazy here. He absolutely loses his mind. Yeah, he goes totally nuts. Uh, I really actually, you know something I loved about this chapter was the detail of whenever the Grim Reaper is near you, he gives off a really intense heat. Uh, I've never heard that before in, in Grim Reaper lore, and I really enjoyed it. That's pretty good. I love that. Um, I love that picture we got of uh, Russell with that fan and the Grim Reaper behind him. That's a great picture. I love both of the really pictures good. we get of like down and out Russell with the scruffy beard and the trucker cap and fucked up shirt. You know. Yeah, yeah. That facial hair works. Yeah, it's a good look. He should he should bring it back. I also very much enjoy that Russell says that he started wearing tie dyed captains. <laughs> I, I think they might have a picture of that a little later on. I wish that there was more of that. I could have used. Plenty of those pictures. Uh, if you're a pharmaceutical nerd like me, you might want to know a little bit about Russell's medication uh, regimen. He's currently, or at least at the time of this book, he was on Lexitan. That's an anxiolytic. It's a benzo. It's, it's similar to Valium, Trevor. Okay. Uh, and then he was also on Risperdal, which is an antipsychotic. Pretty serious antipsychotic, you know, treats schizophrenia and bipolar. And it's the one antipsychotic that, that they use to treat children. As I was talking about medicine, my wife, who is a doctor, wandered into the room, never, never more interested look on her face about my gorillas podcast. Y'all talking about medicine, she says. She's very excited about that. Let's move on to a discussion question. Uh, Trevor, if you knew the Grim Reaper was coming for you in 24 hours, name two things you'd do with your last day. I would definitely send all of the petty texts I've ever wanted to send to people. Oh, for sure. All the X's and... and... Yeah, that's one. Now, are you... If that's, a, if that's a negative karma one, do you feel compelled to do a positive karma one? Or is no, that not your no, style? No, no, <laughs> not at all. Good. I'm, I'm, I'd be disappointed if it was any other way. I don't know. Probably something illegal, right? Right. So, what's the one that you that you you've always wanted to try, but were too afraid of the repercussions? I guess. I don't know. Probably like I don't know. I don't know if I want to go on record saying it. Just imagine the worst possible answer, and it's yeah, probably so like that. some real, some real like depraved shit. Do you think that the Grim Reaper would be like impressed with your commitment? I think he, I think he has to be. I think he has to be totally removed from it. I don't think he's allowed to, you know, have any kind of opinion. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I think that's just his job. You know, he's like, I'm not here to judge. Just, just picking you up. Trevor, moving on to subheading: Noodle down and out in Osaka, Japan. Summary: Noodle wanders the land of the rising sun in search of her mysterious past. Is reactivated by a code phrase. Remembers her training as part of an elite and classified army of child soldiers, and returns to Con Studios to get down to business. Right. We meet another character here, Mister Kyozo. Yeah, there's an interesting picture of him with it with a very young noodle, like maybe a pre phase one noodle. Maybe. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. So the idea here is, as you know, noodle was was amnesiac. It was stricken with amnesia. And went out uh, hoping to, to unlock it. It turns out that that amnesia was like 
programmed into her by the ja- by a secret wing of the Japanese government. Right, and the code word to wake her back up was Ocean Bacon, which uh, she hears in a steamed fish shop while wandering around downtown Tokyo. Which her former master happens to be working in. And uh, we learned that there are 22 others like her, mm-hmm. um, but each of them have Activision, like acti- activation code phrases, and now Noodle has those activation code phrases in her, in her chest pocket. Which is interesting because 2D brings those up without Noodle having brought them up first. Oh, yeah, that is kind of weird. Did you <laughs> notice that he's like, he's like, what do you do with those codes that the uh, with, with, that the guy gave you? And he goes, and she goes, keep them right here in my pocket. And I had to turn back to the other page to see if she talks about like any kind of reactivation codes or anything like that. And there's no no talk of that here. There's a couple of leaps in logic in this book that we'll get to. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. one of them for sure. Yeah, look, you know what? I'm, in this chapter and in the Russell chapter, I found myself for the first time in this book feeling a little bit irritated by Murdoch's constant interjections. Yeah, there's, like I said, I mean, you can only enjoy this book so far as you can enjoy Murdoch Nichols, right? But then, especially now when they're all scattered to the wind and they're not together like why is murdoch chiming in just give just give russell his chance give noodle yeah. a chance but i think i think cash brown is like he uses murdoch like a crutch at times and uh he's the easiest thing to wring humor out of and Cass feels like it needs to you know constantly be funny um noodle by the way every every child soldier was a uh, was given a special like skill Noodles, of course, being that she is fluent in all instruments with a specialty in guitars. And then my favorite line in this chapter, Trevor, this is the genuine lull for me, was uh, Mr. Hughes, I assumed, judging by the previous international success of other British bands, that I would be able to perform for some time in relative obscurity. <laughs> Who would have guessed, eh? His plan, of course, was to send her to be in a British pop band because then nobody would ever recognize her or know who she yeah. was. Uh, discussion question. So every child in the Secret Army was given a special individual skill, assuming that you, Trevor Icarus, are uh, a product of a secret government child soldier program. What do you think your special skill was? What do I think it was, or what would I want it to be? No, what do you think it was? Like, look at your personality. What's the thing that you received secret training for that you're inexplicably good at? Um, I'm a very manipulative person. Ooh, that's cool. So probably, probably something like that. Silver tongue. Yeah, something like that. What about you? You haven't been answering any of these. It's a discussion, Dylan, you know, back and forth. Cooking. I have, like, a really intuitive uh, approach to cooking. I'll, I'll often just, like, start cooking by dicing up some onions and carrots and celery and then figure out what I'm making along the way, and it almost always turns out great. Sounds really cool. I was going to say, like, when I asked, like, if, well, if it was, like, what I thought it would be or what I would want it to be, what I would want it to be would be cooking. Hey, that's cool. Subheading 2D. All right, darling. <laughs> Uh, summary, after a brief tryst in L.A. with a 70s sex symbol, Tootie heads back to his hometown, hits up his dad for a job as a carny, forms a douchebag entourage, and rules the roost as a celeb in a small town, and gets well into monster trucks. So is this the, is this the best, like, gorillas following L.A. sequence? Or <laughs> oh, what? yeah, for sure. It's one of the best chapters of the book, in my opinion. Again, he's back. Brian Setzer. Brian Setzer, yeah, he, he uh, they they bump heads with him once again. Well, this 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 chapter's got quite a cast, so let's go through it as as we get to them. First, Brian, Setzer's, Brian back. Setzer's back of Stray Cat fame. Can we play a little bit of Stray Cat Strut under this? Because sure. I, I don't like this one as much as um Rock This Town, but it's still fun. Yeah, it's it's got that similar vibe though. So if you if you like one, you might like the other. 
Uh, I can't imagine it being a hit, though, so... I gotta talk about Shane Lynch. I think he's the MVP of this chapter, dude. Well, first we've got Britt Eklund. He goes around and stays by Brick Eklund's flat, as we heard in We Are the Dury. Britt Eklund was a very beautiful person. If, if physical beauty is important to you, then Britt Eklund might be somebody who you're interested in. He says, um... Brit was just wandering around with her backside out naked, banging on the walls all night, which we've heard. And then there's some other idiot playing a wooden flute in the other room. When they started building that massive wicker statue, I just thought, you know what? I've had enough of all this. Brit Eklund, of course, plays sort of the siren-like character in, in the 1970s horror movie, The Wicker Man. Good movie. Good movie. Yeah. Worth yeah. a peek. And yeah, then, if, you're, if I'm not mistaken, then, finally. <laughs> yes, then he goes back to work at his dad's fair and he becomes good mates with Shane Lynch, a former member of the 19th century boy band X-Boy Zone. X-Boy Zone, 20th, not 19th. They say 19th in the book. <laughs> I know, but that's, that's Cass Brown having a, having a problem. Well, he now takes money on uh, the carnival ride, the Warlitzer. You know what? I'm going to fade out straight cat blues, and I'm going to give us a new music bed. The one boys have hit, no matter what. It's happening right now, underneath us. I don't think I've heard this one. It's terrible. It's not good. Anyway, uh, there's a moment in this chapter, Trevor, where all story pauses, and Shane Lynch just starts talking about monster tracks. <laughs> It's like, I was laughing so hard when it happened. It's a really so long excited. sequence. <laughs> I was really excited. It's just Shaylin loves monster trucks, and he knows a lot about them, and he wants to tell you about them. Is this directly from Shane himself, do you think? I was this a little, did they call him up? I hope so, man. I hope so. That just seems I like... I hope he really is this person, yeah. Uh, here's a discussion question for you, Trevor. With a grimmer outlook, I feel like Judy's chapter might have been the most miserable of the four, but instead... His simple mind and lack of ambition allowed him to have a really good time during the hiatus. Would you, Trevor Ickrath, rather be stupid and happy or smart and sad? Well, as somebody who is smart and sad, I think, you know, the grass is always greener. So I can't really say, but like, you know, if I was able to experience the two, I can I can imagine probably being like stupid and happy would be better. Right? I mean, certainly I'd love a, like a 24-hour trial period where they where you get yeah. to like try that try that on like a glove and then come back to your old way and be like, "Oh yeah, fuck this. We're going back to that." Yeah. Thanks. Ignorance is bliss, right? Ignorance is bliss. Chapter 8, we finished the chapter cover. Chapter 8, live tonight, zombies, death, disease, tequila. Uh this little this little non-subheading section is summarized as Noodle battles her way into a zombie-infested con studios, is horrified by talent search and reality TV shows, and starts demoing demon days to light a candle rather than curse the darkness. I really love that um, establishing shot of her in the parka with the monkey standing in front of Kong Studios at night in the rain. Yeah, That's from uh, the website, right? It is. I wonder, is that supposed to be her zombie pursuit? It doesn't seem very rugged if it is. I don't know. It just looks cool. It makes me think of her camped out in there all by herself, just recording this album, waiting for the others to return. Should we consider Noodles Kamigachi to be a lore character? I don't think so, because it's dead, right? Uh, I do like to shout out to the Tascam 4-track. Tascam 4-track famously, Damon Alborn used that, I believe, on, on uh, Demo Crazy, and I think he used it to make Mix 2 and also uh, Mr. Softies. Good old Tascam 4-track. All right. Uh, discussion question. So the zombie scourge is supposed to have been uh, caused by bad television? Can you rank these four types of shitty television from most to least zombifying, okay? Okay. Reality show, 24-hour news, laugh track sitcom, and talent contest. Most to least? Most to least. I'm going to go least to most. Go least to most. It's more dramatic. 
Least would probably be... Yeah, I think that one's probably least. Because supposedly, at least in the center of it, there's some kernel of a person who can do a thing. Yeah, even if it's for the wrong reasons. Um, then I think the news. Ooh, really? That's not, that's not too high. 24-hour news. Okay, yeah, 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 I like it. Then I would probably say reality shows. Reality shows, second most, but not as zombifying as. As laugh track comedies or whatever the last one was. Yeah, that would probably be... That's my like um that's my clockwork orange situation, you know, where they sit you down and like keep your eyes open and show you like nonstop, nonstop barrage of this like really triggering kind of visual stuff. Yeah, I'm just I'm just picturing like you with no pupils, just white eyes, you know? Yeah. And like yeah. laughing in time with the laugh track and like all right, the, with the all Big Bang the Theory and stuff like that, yeah. Subheading. Meanwhile, back in Hobbstown, summary. A slowly stabilizing Russell worked with Ike Turner on an album that was supposed to heal the world, but ended up being some sort of demonic hypnosis weapon. So he scrapped it and mourned the absence of his ghostly other half. Uh, what do you make of the fact that this section begins March 40th, 2003? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So this album was supposed to be called The Seventh Heaven hip-hop and harmony album yeah and it's described as being the breakbeat pet sounds which is something i'd listen to for sure this made me very excited to think that like you know maybe there's some real life equivalent of this like an album that that danger mouse and ike turner were working on together anyway well no this is probably um what was that dan nakamura album that ever came out Oh, yeah. Oh, Mikasa. Uh, this is also the one of the chapters in which uh, Russell says, Dell was, in a very real way, my soulmate for so long. Ship it. Ship it. Okay, I got a discussion question. This, one, this one's real juicy, okay? With which collaborators would you partner up the other three band members to make side project albums? You can do collaborators from across the Gorillaz project, but pair each of the other three off with one of them to go make an album during a hiatus. Okay, I think it would be pretty cool to have 2d team up with um either terry hall or uh the clash members sure yeah terry hall was my choice as well i think i think that like 2d would be like you know obviously he'd want to yeah what about murdoch you know i want to give murdoch i want to give him like roots maneuver and popcorn dude that'd be really fun that, that'd be yeah. like an out of left field kind of a rap rock album maybe just like some really heavy dubby bass i kind of imagine sean Ryder with murdoch that'd be fun too they try to make this album about how they were these rock and roll bad boys but it would turn out like dancing in the street to be very homoerotic you know mm -hmm. so for noodle i would want to pair her up with dennis hopper and ben mendelson oh yeah yeah yeah. that'd be crazy like, yeah, i be think that would be some really cool kind of like maybe like post hardcore spoken word stuff with like really sharp angular guitar and for you for you people clamoring that, that dennis hopper couldn't do it let lest you forget plenty of ghosts have appeared on on gorilla songs yeah so you said who did you say you said um terry hall with 2d sean Ryder with murdoch yeah and then uh, and then with with noodle i thought it would be i actually had her with the clash i thought that would be dope oh that'd be sick too yeah definitely trevor <laughs> Let's get into let's get into a chapter about which I, I have some things to say. Uh, subheading: Jailbreak. Summary: Murdoch gets his PhD and some tattoos, and after a very poorly described jailbreak, makes one last trip to the brothel and heads back to the UK. I want to mention that that he's now Doctor Nichols. He can write his own prescriptions, and he's legally entitled to experiment on monkeys. It's true. 
Let's get into the problem, Trevor. Sure. Cash Brown asked Murdoch, how did you escape? Murdoch says, I built a paper mache version of myself, put it in the bed, recorded a tape loop of me moaning so the jailers would think I was just having a bad morning. They probably think I'm still hung over in bed as we speak. The end. What did he do to get out of prison? He made a paper mache version of himself and a tape loop, then he just teleported out of prison. Like, what happened? There's a little gap there, isn't there? Dury isn't a lot of help. I went back to Dury to see if we got more info. They just said that two inmates helped him break out and now he owes them, but there's no <laughs> missing some info. The world may never know. Uh, discussion question. Do you think Cass Brown knows what jails are? I think he's hung around Jamie Hewlett enough times to have gone down to a real jail and bail somebody out himself. That's a good point. For the record, El Chapo dug a tunnel. You know, dig a tunnel. Dig a tunnel. He went the Ferris Bueller approach. He should have gone the um, Shawshank Redemption approach. Shawshank Redemption approach for sure, right? Put up a Brit Eklund poster to hide your, whole, hide your little hole. Meet Morgan Freeman on a beach. Do you think that when he, when he initially threw that rock at that poster, he was like, oh, he probably fucked that hole behind that poster. <laughs> Eastbourne Essex. Tickets, please. Summary. After Noodle sends out a group text, the rest of the band arrives at Khan Studios to be debriefed on the new album. Um, I do like the line, a drunk, a dimwit, and a crazy man is a hard way to start a revolution. That's that's the lineup. We referenced this way back in our first episode. This is the um, section that has the piece of artwork where you see 2D's dick. Oh, yeah, that's right. And the caption Murdoch says that it's a thumb. It is a weird picture. Bizarre 2D, do you, you do realize your thumb's poking right out of the front of your jeans. But obviously it's, it's a different it's, part of it. It's a little, it's a little, little, little wiener. Uh, discussion question. 2D mentions in this chapter wanting to give Murdoch a kicking for mistreating him. Unarmed, man on man, who wins in a fist fight between these two? Murdoch. That's what I want to say, right? But 2D looks like he's 30 pounds. He's very small, but he has reach. He probably has reach on him, doesn't he? Yes, Murdoch is, is Murdoch much shorter? I'll say that it's the long shot, but I'm a gambling man, so I might take those 2D odds. I might take them. Okay. Yeah, you know, when he's off his meds, who knows? Chapter 9, The Making of Demon Days. This is, I think, the longest chapter in the book, Trevor. Yeah, this was, uh, I, I found myself getting through these chapters a lot quicker than the ones in part 1, but yeah, this one took a while. It did. Subheading, Who Put the Chemicals in the Food Train? Summary, Noodle is inspired by a train ride, the band lays down their tracks, a producer is hired, celebrity guest stars come to Kong, the production moves to London for overdubs, and Demon Days is finished. Right, so this one starts out with uh, Noodle giving pretty much a direct recount of Damon Alburn's train story about moving through the uh, Chinese countryside. Yeah, and waking up and suddenly it's a beautiful day. You know, you yeah. go to sleep and it's this nightmarish haunted landscape, you wake up and it's beautiful and the interplay between those those two visions of the earth inspired the album. I like the I like when they do that. I like when they copy paste the yeah, real stuff in yeah. the lore. She says this journey is what inspired the origins of the record, the idea of the world falling to pieces. According to the lore, Dan did not come back because he was afraid of the spirits in Kong Studio. Yeah, and we get some more quotes from uh, Murdoch where we just like get the impression that he really doesn't like him. Yeah, I wonder what that all comes from. You know, there was a there was an article with the uh, with. Girling and Jason Cox, I think, where where they sort of slagged Dan off without slagging them off. I never quite understood 
exactly where things left off with those two. Who knows? But now we have Danger Mouse. Yes, I love that Danger Mouse was after after completing the Grey album, but before being hired by Gorillaz, was working on the 23 album, a mashup of Pearl Jam's 10 and Blur's 13. Yeah, yeah, I liked that a lot. Here's my here's my uh, discussion question, Dylan. What one song from 10 by Pearl Jam and Blur's 13 would you mash up together? No, oh, that's a good question. Hang on, let me look at some track list. I want to hear a mashup of Caramel and Black. Black Caramel. Because they're both colors already, that's Danger Mouse's thing, and also both are really great songs. Yeah, I would want to see um, him mash up Even Flow with Trim Trab. <laughs> that'd be crazy. Right, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah. Log S, if you're listening. <laughs> Please. I really like the small detail that Danger Mouse got rich off the Grey album. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Because that's the other thing they sometimes do, which is like the exact opposite of <laughs> yeah. real life. Uh, okay, Russell defines most of the Demon Days collaborators, like their role. So I want to just go through those real quick, okay? Sure. Uh, Dennis Hopper, the anti-establishment legend. De La Soul, the positive force of hip-hop. Roots Maneuva and Martina Topley Bird, ethereal siblings. Ike Turner, the dark force of soul. Sean Ryder, he gets three. The most prodigal son, the voice of hedonistic funk, and the pantomime villain, which, by the way, is how he should be introduced if he ever becomes a professional wrestler. Um, Booty Brown, the conscientious objector, and Nana Cherry, the streetwise B-girl. Like all of those, why doesn't MF Doom get one? Damon, uh, this is where we get the, the news that Damon gave 2D a bunch of vocal coaching, and so that's why 2D... Uh, that's why his voice is lower, yeah. Yeah, he sounds like he's doing an impression of Alvarez's voice half the time, according to according to Murdoch. Okay, there's a Dion Warwick mention here, Trevor. Who? Dion Warwick, who we know, uh, famous, easy-listening and soul singer, who we know Damon Alvarez has approached on this album, Plastic Beach, and Humans to collaborate with him, and, and each time she's turned him down. Bummer. Um... Most recently on Humans, I think she actually sat down at a piano with him. So, progress, I guess? But the way that she's positioned in this chapter, it sounds like he wanted her to be on every planet where he reaches dead. That could have been cool. Yeah, positioning her as, like, the other elder statesman along with Ike Turner on the song. Hmm. It's hard for me to think of every planet we reach as dead as being any better than it actually is, so I think it came out pretty well. Yeah, no complaints. Yeah. And honestly, Dionne Warwick, I don't know why David has such a hard on for her. Like, she's sort of, to me, she's always been kind of like the uncooler side of grandma music to me. I, I don't know. Roots Maneuva! This is the best. I have, okay, okay. Roots Maneuva has invented his own demonic potion. Okay, Trevor? <laughs> Once it's consumed, he has the ability to change from Mr. Rich Maneuva into Lord Gosh, an evil upper-class 18th-century thug who prowls the London back streets by night, issuing cudgel blows to the poor. <laughs> I really liked the way they covered Roots Maneuva in this section. Like, he's cast this, as being that like... Might be, that might be, like, my favorite sentence in this book, to be honest. Just the idea of this... Evil, dapper British gentleman beating up poor people. <laughs> Lord, listen, I'm, I know we do this every week, but come on, fan artists. Yeah. Come on, fan artists. I, I gotta gosh. see Lord Gosh. <laughs> Jamie Hewlett failed us by not drawing him in this book, yeah. so pick up his slack. 
Russell also called Danger Mouse the fifth gorilla in this chapter. What do you make of that? I mean, I do think he played an integral part in creating Demon Days. Didn't he make Roadkill, the Roadkill mixtape? Um, there was a there was a promo CD issued around the time that the Dirty Harry single came out, I think. Yeah. That was like a, a mashup album of a bunch of Gorillaz influences and Gorillaz music. Which is really cool. It's got, um, one thing I remember in particular is uh, Booty Brown's verse from uh, the classic Farsight song, Passing Me By. Uh, Danger Mouse took that and put it over the, um, I think it was the Tomorrow Comes Today instrumental. And that's a cool mixtape, and I believe in lore, Russell Hobbs made it, which makes me a little bit disappointed that it's not covered in this otherwise, you know, very excruciating and exactingly complete... Yeah, uh, one of the very few things that doesn't make it into Rise of the Ogre. Would have, would have really liked to have seen that. But mm-hmm. go, go check out Roadkill the mixtape. I'm sure you and I will be re- reviewing it sooner than later. Totally, yeah. If we can find it, I have no idea where I'd even begin looking for that. I think it's on YouTube last I checked. Is it on YouTube? I think Everything's it's on YouTube. on YouTube. I got a discussion question for you. Trevor, this chapter made me very sad that we don't have any in-universe backstories for the humans collaborators. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that you can give me like a Cash Brownian lore about any one of them. Anyone you want to tell me a little bit about what happened when they met gorillas. So I'm not sure if this is Cass Brown Indian or if this is just something that like the band would say in like an interview. But I think it'd be funny if they talked about how like um they kinda, you know, they've patched things up with Damon Auburn following the dispute over his demo tapes from Plastic Beach. Right. And he arranged for some collaborators for them and one was um Finn Staples. But uh I, I think there'd be like a great interview segment where they're talking about waiting for this rapper that Damon um, had arranged from the work but to show up at the studio. Then Murdoch starts talking about how, like, oh, yeah, while we were waiting, um, this office supply delivery boy showed up. And uh, since the rapper Damon never arranged for, came to the studio, um, we just had him lay down a verse instead. <laughs> and then 2D, I think, would chime and go, yeah, I think we worked with his mom or something as well. <laughs> That's great. That's so Casperanian. Yeah. yeah. You should be writing this space, Trevor. I should run gorillas. You know, Damon wants to pass it to somebody. Guys, um, what about you? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so so I immediately went to Benjamin Clementine, and uh, I believe that Benjamin Clementine is actually the dictator of an unknown nation, like a Wakanda-style, you know, Fertile Crescent nation. Sure. And and they saw a copy of his speech and thought, well, this is this is delicious. we got to get this on the record. So they, That'd be great. They phoned him up, and he showed up with his, his full armed entourage to, to lay it down on record. <laughs> I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Uh, okay. Subheading, Demon Day Song by Song. Summary. The band is a track-by-track breakdown of the album that can be heard almost word-for-word in We Are the Dury. For more info, go listen to our episode about that. <laughs> yeah, just, mo- like, I, I would say a good 80% of this is cribbed directly from those interviews. It is. I, I was a good little boy and went back to, like, a transcript of We Are the Dury and this chapter just to make sure that if there was any relevant lore that we didn't skip it over. So I got three bits for you, Trevor. All right, let me get those bits. Oh, Green World. Murdoch says, At the beginning of this, my bloody raven Cortez flapped his way into the studio and started puking his squawk all over the track. Listen. <laughs> that is um, that is something that's never left me for some reason, although I, don't, I didn't remember that it originated here, and I kind of started thinking that I just made it up. Like, oh, that one sample is Murdoch's Crow, right? It's Murdoch's Crow. And then I got here, and I was like, I was right. You were right. It, it must have yeah. been stuck in your head. So what else do we got? El Manana. Russell says, 
I programmed the beat completely by accident when I sat on my drum machine. It sounded all over the place, but if you listen to it, it does kind of make sense. That's a cool detail, because it's very true. That beat is all over, like, everywhere. It is wild, yeah. It's, it's yeah. crazy beat programming. Certainly not the kind of beat programming we would hear one album later on Plastic Beach, courtesy of David Elmore. <laughs> no. I do like that on Cast Calls, Almanana, a quaalude for the soul. That's fun. I do like that. Yeah. Uh, November has come. This is the best one. Because they finally learned a little more about MF Doom, I guess. They didn't just have to replicate his Wikipedia page here. <laughs> so Murdoch caught MF Doom literally in his talent catcher butterfly net, and then he, he sprayed him with a homemade concoction called Ambition for Men that, that seduces men into being collaborators. <laughs> Uh, and then Murdoch says he was headbutting the wall, opening cans of beer with his mad metal face. Absolutely nuts. I had a stopwatch and I said, see how many words you can say inside the first 30 seconds. Boy, oh boy, did he deliver. That's really good. Yeah, I'm glad they, I'm glad they decided to flesh this one a little bit out, a little more. Yeah, that we totally needed. Because, I mean, he's such a, he's a living cartoon character. You need some MF Doom lore. Yeah. You know? Again, there's much more here. I wish we could do a, a full breakdown with you guys like we did last uh, episode with, with, with the, the self-titled track by track, but you should go back to our, our We Are the Dairy episode if you are clamoring for, for a little bit more gorillas on Demon Days action. So here's my discussion question, though. Do yeah. you think Cass purposefully, you know, recreated We Are the Dairy here, or do you think he was just like, gotta write something about Demon Days, and his mind was just wired to reproduce the exact same thing? <laughs> like Cass Brown is some kind of living computer that yeah. he didn't even know. No, for sure. It's, it's He's like, why is this directly. coming out all easily? It's almost like I've almost <laughs> written this before. <laughs> you know what? If there's a lore of Cass Brown making this, this book, then sure, that's what happened. Here's my discussion question, Trevor. What, in your opinion, is the worst episode of Hallelujah Monkeys? I, I would say our music video episode is down there, just because it's kind of like the least interesting topic to me. I, I was going to say the DVDs. The DVDs, I think we did... I don't think it's a bad episode. I just think it's our worst episode. I think the DVDs is a really fun episode. I think we really... I think that one's got a really good tone to it. I wonder if it's colored by the experience in the room. Of, Maybe. Of it feeling Maybe. like an interminable thing to record. Um, <laughs> and obviously, like, you know, our first episode, we probably just weren't quite there yet. I, I would no. love to go back and redo that original trilogy of, like... um. Gorillas, Demon Days, Plastic Beach. Maybe not even Plastic Beach, because I think Plastic Beach is where we started to hit our stride. Wow, is it really interesting to hear us talking about our own podcast? Add it to the... But I'll tell you right now, the, the first three albums we reviewed, add it to the log list. Um, yeah. Things that we'll eventually do. Yeah, yeah. To answer your other question, no, it's not interesting. Let's move on. Subheading, uh, Rocket, Summary. Noodle releases proof of the undead skirt that has defiled Khan Studios in the form of a lesser gorillas video. Uh, I guess in this chapter we meet Pazuzu, the demon statue. Right. Anything Anything you'd like to say about this? This was not as interesting to me as seeing like the actual creation of Rocket in uh, Bananas, which we'll talk about. Yeah, for sure. We got, we got plenty to say about Rocket coming up ahead, but for now yeah. I have a discussion question for you. Uh, Noodle made the Rocket video to warn us about a zombie outbreak. Is it possible that she made the Dokumatic video to warn us about an aquatic hipster douchebag invasion? <laughs> Is it possible? She definitely got her message across. And I mean, Daily didn't really have too much of a crew after this, so I guess it worked. <laughs> it worked! Uh, subheading, Grand Reopening of Kong Studios. Summary, 
Gorillas relaunch their website, and Cass Brown writes another mercifully short section telling you about how you can play games there and click on stuff. And here's also where we got a great picture of Sir Brian of Mouse, Danger Mouse's great, great, great grandfather, and Kong Studios frequenter back in the day. I love that picture of him yeah. in his, uh, uh, with a ruffled collar. You, you can imagine showing up to those like hedonist parties back in the in the uh, Emmerich Kong days, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, zombie flesh eaters we also meet here and i love what murdoch says about zombie flesh eaters of course zombie flesh eaters is jamie hewlett's sort of multimedia production company uh murdoch says they along with jamie hewlett should be thoroughly imprisoned for crimes against art technology and design nice shout out uh and i also appreciated the shout out to the porta cabin the the frustratingly tiny phase 1.5 gorillas.com landing page where oh, shit, i forgot down. about that thing yeah, yeah, yeah. They took down Kong Studios uh, after after Phase One wrapped up, and all you had was this little sad porta cabin to click to click around. I don't remember what was in it. There was like a couple of things you could click in it. Hmm. Discussion question: Trevor, what is your favorite room or screen in any phases Kong Studios? I really like the just the the lobby in Phase Two with that demon sitting behind the counter. I think it's just such a good. You already know what you're in for. I agree. I totally agree. That's that's a, that's probably top five for me. You know, mm-hmm. my number one though uh, was Murdoch's Trans Am from Phase One, where you could listen to an eight track of, of the Space Monkeys remix of 192000. That one is cool. That's a good choice. It just makes me feel like you're getting stoned in a Trans Am with Murdoch. You know? Sure. Okay, Trevor. We got stuff to talk about. Subheading: Search for a star. Summary: To suss out if the zombie plague has reached across the globe, Noodle holds an international talent search. And does an AMA before Reddit was even a thing. Um, before we talk about search for, the, search for the Star, can we just briefly talk about Noodle Blast? Sure, yeah. Noodle Blast, a terrible name for anything. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a cum joke, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, I, I don't know if I got a question answered during the Noodle Blast, Trevor, but I definitely posted questions during a Noodle Blast. This I don't was, think uh, I was on board here yet. This was on... Uh, forums.gorillas.com the OMB, the original the OMB, the OMB I think there were four of them uh, in phase two, early in phase two not not late in phase two Noodle showed up and and uh, for like a dedicated period of time, I'm assuming it was Cass Brown would uh, would answer questions that you posted in, in a special part of the forum. I guess this actually was kind of a, a more limited version of the very, very early official message board, like before the the Tomorrow Come Today promo was even issued, I guess, you could log on and talk to members of Gorillas on the forums, like, daily. Right. There's that great article out there about Murdoch actually saving some kid's life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, okay. Search for a star. Do you, do you have any <laughs> fond memories of Search for a Star? Because there's one video that I remember very well. Uh, I, you know what I remember about Search for the Star? I remember people being real angry about Search for the Star. I remember the, the the fan base being very upset with how it was being run, just feeling sort of cheated by the whole thing. It's kind of that thing where, like, the second you're told you can have something, you feel entitled to it, you know? Right, yeah. And I guess there was just, it was a little bit ill-advised, because ultimately they course-corrected and, and, and ended it as well as it could be ended. But at the, at the time, it was just kind of like, whether you uploaded a single image or a full video or a song, you were all in the same pool, and people were just voting for their favorite. Uh, so every week, the leaderboard would just be video entries, and nobody gave a shit about songs or images. 
Definitely should have been different categories, right? Definitely should have been. And then at the end, they course corrected and, and, and picked a winner from each category. Mm-hmm. So, so it kind of it kind of worked out. Tell me, what's your specific memory about about Search for a Star? Oh, I really wanted to find the video and show it to you because I know you're familiar with it as well. You might have forgotten. But all I was able to find was this great summary uh, that somebody on one of the old boards wrote of it. <laughs> so let me read that to you real quick. Okay. A man in a wife beater and a sombrero is apparently tweaking out on some kind of substance. He rips his shirt down the middle, channeling the Incredible Hulk, and in a cracking voice, screams, Motorcycle Bitch. And I believe that's the name of the song. <laughs> An obviously irritated Russell snaps in with, Oh, I know what you're looking at. While Noodle, in her usual naivete, offers only, Russell, is this your father? <laughs> Though it could easily be mistaken for one. I'm not describing a Franz Kafka LSD flashback. The man on the screen is Tommy Toons, and this is his music video, <laughs> Motorcycle Bitch, which is featured in the fourth round of Gorilla's online-only talent competition, Search for a Star. As the song progresses, Tommy's guitarist is seen engaging in what is, by all appearances, the brutal public rape of a blonde groupie. 2D seems impressed enough, exclaiming, this must have taken you ages to do. Oh, God. Now, do you know who the author of that forum post was? <laughs> yes, I do. It was, it, was, it was a young Dylan Flynn <laughs> in 2005. I would have been 16 or 17 at the yeah. time. I was writing editorials about gorillas. Yeah. <laughs> there was a music video called Motorcycle Bitch, and it was terrible. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to exist on the internet anymore, and I'm so upset about that. Yeah, that that was part of the problem. So the way that it worked when you were watching the Search for the Star audition is you'd, you'd look at the image or the video or listen to the song, and then there were like these pre-recorded quips that the band would would say. Uh, I quoted a few of them there uh, in that in that editorial. Russell, is this your father? Russell, is this your father? I can still hear her saying it. And that one was awful. It like was really. I still. I'm still slightly scarred by it. Like, why? Why are you? Why are you depicting a rape in your stupid music video about motorcycles? And why is it in this gorilla talent contest? You know, my theory there is that Tommy Tunes did not submit this to the context. I'm pretty sure this was some kid finding it on YouTube, ripping it, and submitting it. There's no. Right. There's no way. Tommy, this guy was like, I'm gonna, gonna submit my motorcycle bitch music video. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could find it too. Let's I, wish we, I wish we could just fade up a little bit of motorcycle bitch right now, but yeah. Tommy Toons, if you're out there, get in touch. Please, come on the show. <laughs> Let's talk about the winners. Let's talk about the winners of Search for a Star, okay? Sure. Uh, so the video winner was a video called Table Manners by Carl Sowerby. Uh, this was also the grand prize winner of the whole contest. It was kind of like a little limited animation of, of doodles on different pieces of paper who were like talking to each other. Um, you can still find it on YouTube. And, and at the time, fans were very angry that this was the the winning entry because Carl, it, like, admittedly was not a fan of the band. And he made the film independent of the contest and submitted it and didn't even remember that he had submitted it until he was rung up uh, to be told that he had won the contest. Now, that, I think, is kind of cute and a good story. Maybe a little bit better than, like, a a bunch of fans made sure that a fellow fan won. Each one of these people uh, made a little something that was included in the DVD single release of the double A-side of El Manana and Kids with Guns. So much later in the phase, these winners would, would go on to 
you know, mix of media for that release. Mm-hmm. So Carl Sowerby, he made the official visual for the Don't Get Lost in Heaven demo. Did you watch this, Trevor? Maybe when it came out, not <laughs> since then, though. It's like a dude walking to that groovy beat. <laughs> not great. Uh, none of these are great. Well, no, one of them's really good. The other two are not great. The audio winner was a song called Indian Dance by a, an artist named Asidus. I could not find that song anywhere, but his remix of Dirty Harry, which is called the Uno Quattro remix, you can find that on YouTube, and it is a mess. That one I remember, yeah. It's got really, really bad beat matching, on, especially on Booty Brown's bit, and then it's, it's especially notable, Trevor, because it makes extensive use of, like, all of the circa 2005 era garage band loops, it's just all of them are in that song. All of the the blues riffs and little drum solos, all of them are in that song. In fact, let's hear a little bit of that behind me as I talk about uh, the the image winner. Um, this one's a little bit cooler. So, so the image winner was a, an image called Tootie and Paula, and it was by Schneeflock, who was a, a pretty active a uh, member of the fan community back in the day. I remember uh, Sneeflock, yeah. I remember distinctly not knowing how to pronounce their name. Yeah, I can't remember. I think she was, like, Ukrainian? Something I think like she was that. maybe from the Ukraine. Anyway, uh, if you if you Google 2D and Paula Sneeflock, you can see that image. It's still one of, like, the more famous uh, fan images of Paula Cracker that exists. Little fan image of Paula Cracker there. Little, little Ukrainian-made fan image of Paula Cracker. She got, so she got to make an insert like a paper insert that went inside of that single. Kind of surreal uh, tableau of like an angel and a dead mermaid and like a brain on a, on a pitchfork or a trident sort of floating on an ice floe. I mean, those are that's what I see when I think of Almignana. I, I, it's actually kind of cool. And I, and I went on to Schneeflock's uh, personal webpage and she, she put up the like five drawings that she submitted to Jamie and he picked that one of those five. Hmm. Kind of cool, kind of cool. And and of the of the three winners, I think she she definitely had like the best entry to that single for sure. Schneeflock can be on the show. You know, at the end Noodle kind of says like the reason she did this contest was to see if there was like any any creative energy left out there in the world or if everybody had been zombified, you know? Yeah. It would have been kind of funny if she'd, like, had the balls or if Cass would have the balls to be like, after the contest ended, I was able to conclude that the zombies play could spread everywhere. There was no creative energy left. <laughs> right, but I mean, motorcycle bitch, so clearly not. Okay, discussion question, Trevor. Uh, I didn't give you any advance notice about this, and I purposely didn't think about it at all myself, okay? Okay. Let's you and me start our own ill-conceived listener talent contest right now. We're going to figure out the rules and the prize and everything. One, two, three, go. I think the prize would probably be um, getting on the show, right? That makes sense. Let's do that. We'll do that. And then the one thing that we should borrow from Search for a Star is that we have, like, the winners all contribute to make a thing together. Right. Can we record? Can we record our pre-record our um, reactions to it and kind of just drop them in as responses that don't really <laughs> make that much sense? Um, oh, that's a great idea. In context. Okay, let me do. Let me do. Take one of mine. Okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. Here's one of mine. I'm not sure if this is particularly in good taste. Here's another one for both of us. Let's let's both get a taste of this one. Okay. Okay. This one's close, but it doesn't quite get that for me. <laughs> Fuck off. I think we should make him... Let's, let's have him make a tweet. 
Send an email to hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com. You can either make a picture that will be in the tweet or 140 characters worth of text that will be in the tweet, or I suppose, like, maybe a, a link to a vocaroo of you saying something if you want to have an audio entry. And then we'll, you'll all collaborate, and you'll make a tweet, and we'll post the tweet. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good scale to work with to start out. I agree. Everybody loves it. We'll announce the winners in a week. So next we've got the um, the second arm of Gorilla's kind of Demon Days zeitgeist. We've got Search for Star, and then there's Reject False Icons. Okay, summary. Noodle's final attempt to fight the global zombification process. Sell some stickers that say Reject False Icons on them. I gotta say, I skimmed through, like, this entire section. Like, I mean, you know, I, I vaguely remember that there was, like, a little section of a website where you could see graffiti. Yeah, I vaguely remember it happening when it was going on. I assume that would have, like... I was very surprised when uh, the second DVD came out and it didn't end up being called Reject False Icons because I was under the impression that was the celebrity takedown of the um, of the phase, you know, the I believe slogan, we had the motto. At one point, I know, I think we had a canonical thing that said Phase 2 Reject False Icons. Probably, yeah. I don't remember what that would have been from. I want to say how much I like these posters that we get here. These are some of my favorite um, pieces of Gorilla's art. Oh, yeah, the character posters, like the Phase 2 character posters. Those yeah, and, and if I was spacing out a little while you were giving that list of um, collaborators and the titles they gave them, I was trying to find these because I think they kind of do the same thing for at least half of the band members here. We get 2D referred to as the Switchback Daredevil and Murdoch as the Bass Slayer and Russell's um, XL Motown Prisoner. Noodle doesn't really have one. Hers is like Made in Japan or Fall of the Robots or something. Just really cool, but, you know, cool phrases that they attach to the characters. And you get to see Murdoch's butt acne. Gotta love the, the boils on Murdoch's ass. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they deserve their own Gorilla's Wiki page. Mm -hmm. I got a discussion question for you. Um, whenever I buy something that comes with a sticker, even if it's a sticker that I really like, a really nice one, I never know where to put it. What about you? Do you know what to do with stickers? Well, I got um that copy of Demon Days from Vinyl Me Please, and that came with a cool little set of stickers that's each band member's, like, um you know, the profile from the album cover. Mm -hmm. And I stuck them on the underside of a MIDI keyboard controller I have. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I guess I could I could sticker up a guitar, but, like, sometimes when I go to a show and somebody's guitar got stickers all over it, I kind of go, eh. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We just finished a chapter! <laughs> on a chapter 10? Feel good ink. It gets its whole it gets a whole chapter all to itself. Well, you know they cover a lot of things. Yeah, right? yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, summary: After a long, ponderous dialogue about the meaning of Feel Good Tower and the Windmill Island, gorillas film a comeback music video, suffer through laborious post-production, exploit a chart loophole, and uh, Feel Good Ink charts at number two in the UK. One of my favorite parts of this um, chapter is when they're talking about making the video. Noodle just straight up explains what a metaphor is in like a long paragraph. <laughs> Sometimes, in order to express a feeling or an idea directly, it requires the nature of that expression to be made indirectly or through a certain symbolism. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of, you know, masturbatory noodling going on yeah. here. Yeah. I do like the, the story about a couple of police officers pulling Murdoch over on the way to the shoot because he had a half a gram of pink whiz in his pocket. Pink whiz. Trevor, that is a, a pink Swiss speed. Gotcha. Murdoch asks 2D what the duckhead symbol is in every one of their videos, and 2D says, I don't know, it's just a sticker that I like. But I think it's the Peckerwood symbol. It's <laughs> for white supremacists. Yeah, right? Interesting that, like, I don't know, like, 
weird thing for Cass to mention here. Uh, it is weird. It is is weird. this him nudging Jamie like, hey, why do you always draw this white power thing? Right. Or maybe he asked Jamie what it was and that was Jamie's answer? Maybe. Yeah, who knows? Be now. 2D. Alleged white supremacist. Yeah, and, and Russell, too, because he got the tattoo. Right. Uh, <laughs> Russell, of course, noted white supremacist. <laughs> okay, uh, I do like the little bit of on-set lore. So a bunch of kids broke onto the set and then started messing around on, on Wimble Island, and then it, it got loose and floated down the Thames. Uh, and Murdoch says, uh, uh, one of the kids ended up in traction. He had held on for three hours, but let go eventually and fell 200 feet. His parents tried to sue us. Could you believe it? Sue us! So we sent a couple of guerrilla stagehands around to straighten things out. Right. Everything's fine now. <laughs> I like the idea of, a, of gorillas having the parents of a crippled boy beaten. And then after that, we go into pretty much a word-by-word -word recreation of the um, band's commentary on the feel-getting video, which is from... Uh, I think that showed up on, what, Slobo Hades? Yeah, Slobo Hades uh, DVD episode, we talked about that. Um, Again, is is cast copy-pasting, or is this just a case of putting the same monkey down at the same typewriter? <laughs> good question. There is a little Akon disc, they call Akon a vanishing act, which, which is kind of funny. Hmm. Okay, discussion question. What's more likely at this point? Damon Albarn making another song that surpasses Feel Good Inc. and chart and commercial success, or... A second Tank Girl movie getting made. For some reason, I can't imagine Jamie Hewlett doing anything other than Gorillaz ever again. Like, what has he done besides Gorillaz in the last, like, ten years? I don't know. Didn't he go back to Tank Girl? I don't know. He made I think some... he did another run of Tank Girl. Didn't he make some, like, vibrators or something? That sounds familiar. Yeah. That does sound familiar. Yeah. So... <laughs> Damon might solve one more in him. Who knows? Maybe he's got one more, you know, generation-defining tent left in his, Who knows? In his brain. We'll see. We'll see. Apparently, we got the powers pretty good. Trevor subheading, Tales of the Unexpected, the iPod advert. Summary. Gorillas make a second deal with the devil, and an iconic iPod commercial helps secure feel good ink, chart success in America. This was the most boring part of the book for me. It sure is. Like, oh my god. I forgot that this even happened, honestly. I, I said it to you. I remember the, the music video well. You know, I remember, I remember that well. style of music videos. I don't remember being particularly blown away by the um, Gorillaz one. No, the Gorillaz one, they're on roller skates. Yeah, there was a, I remember the Coldplay one for Viva La Vida being really good. Okay, discussion question. Noodle said she allowed Apple to, to use Phil Ink because the iPod had a positive effect on the world of music. What sanctimonious reason would Noodle get to justify letting her face appear on a can of Red Bull? Well, you know, in, these, in, these, in the current state of the world, it's so easy to let all the horrible stuff that's going, going on kind of get you down and leave you a like lethargic mess. So Red Bull is really what is giving us the energy to kind of push on through such trying times. It's revolution fuel. Yeah. Hell Red Bull. Hell Red Bull has gorillas. Subheading, Demon Days release. Summary, Demon Days is released and the band babbles about the album and what it's like to release a second album. Okay, we gotta talk about Great Big Chubby Ru Russell. We gotta here. talk about Great Big Chubby Russell because this has been driving me crazy for two weeks. I'm pretty sure, like, the night before I thought we were originally going to record this episode, I, like, messaged you on Facebook or something going, like, okay, I don't want to spoil conversation for the podcast, <laughs> but I really need to ask you about this. Have you noticed, on page 224 of Rise of the Ogre, <laughs> instead of referring to him just as Russell in the little, like, character name preceding the quote, Cass calls him Great Big Chubby Round Russell. 
And I think in order to not spoil this conversation, we both just kind of went, right? Yeah. This is, I'm pretty sure I went through the book and looked, I'm pretty sure this is the only time he does something like this. The only other things that are kind of like this is when he puts a parenthetical after their name, like Murdoch reflectively or whatever. Yeah, which is always bad and thankfully only happens a couple times. Yeah, but this is so weird. It's not so even weird. It's not even that it's like offensive. It's just it's, it's just confusing and inscrutable. Yeah. It's not set up at all. They're not making like a fat joke about Russell, of which there are plenty in this book. Of which there mm. are certainly plenty. You know, there are other lines that could have been uh, that you, where you could have used this name for Russell, yeah. and it would have made sense in, in yeah. the grammar of the joke that was happening. Uh, but this is just Russell, like, straightly talking about what it's like to put out Demon Days? Yeah. Here's the lead-in. Why? Maybe, had the band defied the critics and proved the point in true style, Gorillas were a whole new valid creative force that could redefine and re-justify their existence with every new release. And then, great big chubby Ron <laughs> Russell comes in the coat. Is this cast going like, I wonder if anybody's actually reading this? Is it that? Is it cast saying, I'm bored? Is it something left over from copy editing? Like, was there a fat joke here that got deleted and they didn't fix the name? There are certainly, you know, a, a handful of typos in this book. I don't know. I wish I had an answer for you, Trevor. It really? is also, it's also been bothering me. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's not that I'm offended. It's not that I'm offended. Of course. It's just weird. It's weird. Cheap fat jokes in this book and, and whatever. Who cares? But, but why? I can't wait to ask Cass when we eventually get him on the show. Cass does manage to write an extended section of Noodle, like, pontificating about the significance of the title Demon Days mm -hmm. without undercutting it with any Murdoch eye-rolling. So kudos to Cass for, like... Thank fucking God, yeah, for once. <laughs> doubling down on letting a band member say a thing without Murdoch making fun of the thing they're saying. Discussion question, and I'm not, I'm not even totally sure what I mean by this. Which character do you think Cass is best at writing? Best at writing? That's a really good question. You know what? I'm going to be honest. I think that he uses 2D in the most fun ways. Like, he uses 2D to not talk about what's going on in the book and do, like, little asides and non sequiturs because 2D doesn't understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. So it always feels like a breath of fresh air when 2D chimes in, so I'm going to say 2D. But I know Cass's answer would be Murdoch. He clearly right. feels like a kinship with Murdoch. Yeah. His use of 2D is so sparing, though, that it really does make you appreciate every line that gets out there. Yeah, and he does have a lot of great lines in this book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Here's my discussion question. Uh, Cass Riley observes that a Gorillaz album naturally comes with another flurry of online crap, interactive goods, enhanced CDs, mobile applications, grommets, gadgets, and holographic cup holders. What do you imagine would happen, Trevor, if you stuck the enhanced CD-ROM of humans into your... Windows XP computer tower. Like, what, what, what could they put on a, on an enhanced edition of humans? Well, what's what's big right now? VR, right? VR, VR is huge. Yeah, we yeah. got that three sixty thing. I think you would probably put it in your computer, and you would put on a little like you know makeshift VR headset that the deluxe edition would come with, and you'd be able to see the album cover, and all the characters would just kind of be popping out of it, and it would look even more horrible and grotesque than it does in you know. 2D. For sure that. And then let's let's say uh, uh, an official visual for, like, The Apprentice, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Something like that? Yeah, Carnival. Carnival, sure. <laughs> Who, who's not clamoring for some official yeah. Carnival visuals? So that in Demon Days album reviews, summary, critics say nice stuff about Demon Days. Although this is no more thrilling to read than all the 
negative ones from uh oh my god that's exactly what i wrote i said this is not any more enjoyable to read than the nitpicking of negative rest of the first half you know the face murdoch is making in that picture where he's like scratching his butt through his underwear yeah that's that's me reading these reviews maybe we can liven this part of the show up with a discussion question go ahead uh give me a pithy quote from a fake demon days review i'll give you mine as an example okay no blur here these tunes and tunes are in focus Obviously, tunes, I spelled it one way like a song and one way like cartoons. He shared that with me before we recorded, so I kind of did something a little similar. One can only surmise that the demon days in question refers to the week it must have taken the band to get a usable vocal take out of one-time Happy Monday's frontman, Sean Ryder. (laughs) Solid. Yeah. We should totally be mid-aughts, sarcastic, quippy music journalists. Okay, subheading. It's Dare, Shaun of the Dead, The Night Rider. Summary. The li- gorillas and Sean Ryder work on the music video for Dare. I love the little Shaun of the Dead shout out. I did I did laugh out loud though when Murdoch did a Charlie Brown adult impression because he was like rolling his eyes at the passion picture guy who was like talking about CG and blue screens. He just started going, wah, 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 thrilling. Help, one of the geeks has escaped. <laughs> Geek on the loose. Get a nap. <laughs> I actually am more charmed when Murdoch is making fun of, like, real-life guerrilla collaborators. Yeah, that's always fun. Than when he's making fun of the band. Like, you really need to stop talking to Dan Nakamura. I really like these um, animatics or the storyboards for uh, Dare as well. The uh, storyboards of the Dare video are, are really crisp and cool-looking. Okay, I got a discussion question for you. Trevor, if you had to have a towering garish head of a, of a C-list or lower celebrity in your bedroom, who would it be and why? Um, Andy Warhol. Oh, that's a great answer. Yeah. That's a great answer. Because I think I'd come in and he would just go like, Oh, hi, how's it going? Hello. I'm Andy Warhol. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> He's just going to give you gentle, positive reinforcement? Yeah, just come. Oh, uh, okay. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of, like, um, the depiction of uh, him in, like, um... Oliver Stone's The Doors. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've actually always, I've always had this, I've always had this concept kicking around in my head of um, this figure called uh, Lou Reedbot. Oh, no. <laughs> Is this new Hallelujah Monkey War? Yeah, I think so. Because um, Jamie actually drew him like this, drew Lou Reed as some kind of Frankenstein's monster with like bolts coming out of his neck and like yeah, yeah, eating yeah. like um, wires, like some ramen noodles. I think just this Lou Reedbot character would open up like um, a Bender-esque chest compartment and Andy Warhol's head would just be floating in there, and like Krang just, from the yeah, Teenage exactly, Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like the teenage, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. He just opened it up, and Andy Warhol would go, "Oh, oh, that's nice, interesting." Okay. And oh, I love just, it. Yeah, and then he would just put it. That's Lou Reed Bot. Uh, I guess if I had to pick a, a C-list or lower celebrity head to have in my bedroom, I, I would pick Ray Parker Jr. Just so, okay. like, he might chime in with the occasional like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he'd be able to tell you if there were any ghosts around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And who to call if there was uh, a ghost right. or two. <laughs> right. It's good information to have on hand. Uh, we finished the chapter. We finished the chapter, Trevor. We finished the chapter. Right. On to the demon detour. Okay. Subheading. The slow boat to Hades. Summary. Gorillas embark on a virtual tour of sorts. We, Jimmy Manson, is hired as Gorillas' US A&R man. Russell discovered the new hobby of the band to stop everywhere they go by two helicopters and a mysterious sniper. So... The book is kind of starting to take on a little bit more of a narrative push here, I think. 
Yeah, they're kind of like very, very archly winking every time they bring up Wee Jimmy Manson and the helicopters. And what do you What do you think of this Wee Jim, Jimmy Manson character? I think it's clunky. I think all the stuff I think is a little really bit clunky. Really clunky, like. It's kind of just Charlie Manson, right? My thing is, why not make a new character? That's a good point. That's a good point. There's so many colorful ones already in this book. You could have yeah. had to I mean, we even get a, a drawing of him, and he looks exactly like Charles Manson. Like, why wouldn't you just use Dr. Wurzel? Exactly. Why not use Dr. Wurzel? Or just, yeah. I don't know. This character's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. He seems like a, seems like they thought of him very quickly. We do, meet, we do meet a couple of new characters in this chapter. We meet Grassy Noel. Right. <laughs> the, who's a stone stooge and, and a possible patsy. Yeah. For the true parties who are looking to take down gorillas. I do like the dumb uh, pun of Grassy Noel mm-hmm. as, the, as, the, as the patsy gunman. Of course. Uh, and we also meet the blonde banshee, who's a jilted ex-lover of Murdoch's and, and possible mother. To his illegitimate child. And the black skin demon boy shows up to talk with them again. Let's let's jump out of Lauren for a second and talk a little bit about the demon detour, Trevor. Yeah, this is kinda like I, this is kind of like a tour that time forgot. Yeah, so in the book, they, they play it very straight-faced. In reality, what it was was a, a pre-recorded live session and a pre-recorded mini-band interview. Mm-hmm. And they would just play it on specific radio stations like on specific days. So it was like you were having a virtual tour. They'd do a little eight-song set uh, that was pre-recorded. This is where the, the like, high-fidelity recording of the uh, De La Soul slash Booty Brown version of Clint Eastwood come from. Which is very good. In fact, all of the performances from the DVD Detour sessions are really, really good. Yeah, I totally recommend tracking down the DVD Detour. And I, I, I hadn't listened to it in its entirety for a while, and I still haven't. So I'm looking forward to going back to that with you uh, in, a, in a future season of the show to, to revisit the stuff. Yeah. Gorillas is a great live in studio band. This is where we learn about uh, Russell's love of taxidermy. Yeah. That was a phase two thing that I always kind of liked because I always felt like Russell was under service and I just like, I liked seeing him with a consistent thing that he was doing that phase. You know? Yeah, it was nice to get a little more just like flesh out that character. And you know, he's, he makes kind of like terrible Frankenstein beasts out of different animals and Car parts. Uh, Cass Brown makes the pun "pimp my rhino" right. in regards to it. Yeah. Oh, also in this chapter, uh, Cass calls Murdoch's dad Jacob, and his name is Sebastian. So interesting. Whoops. Whoops. Yeah, and then we get this whole thing about how Murdoch went to see Jimmy Manson at the at the record company offices and said uh, he they came to an agreement, and then the assassination attempts stopped. So, you know. We're just telegraphing some future plot things here. Okay, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Peek behind the scenes, Trevor. All right. We just had like a brief moment of technical difficulty, so we had to stop recording for a second. In that time, we saw that there was a third strobe light preview. And Murdoch's in this one. We get an actual, uh, we actually, we get an actual moving character. Yes, and knowing that this stems from motion capture, I love the facial animation that they're doing. It looks, it looks really, really good. good. Like, this might be the best Murdoch has looked all face so far. I really like it. I'm a, the only thing I'm a little concerned about is the strobe light effect that's in all of these uh, uh, previews, because it seems like that might be somewhat headache-inducing. I, I'm hoping this is just an Instagram thing. It could just be for Instagram, or maybe it's just for specific parts of the video, but either way... Not very chill to, to epileptic gorillas fans. Absolutely not. I would watch <laughs> if this is what it looks like. I'm going to watch it once and probably never again. Yeah, that would be a bummer. Yeah. But I, we'll see. We'll see. Put faith in Jamie Hewlett. Uh, let's get back into it though. I got a discussion question for you. 
Gorillas announced a new virtual tour, The Human's Holiday, okay? And and Hallelujah Monkeys is to be a date on the virtual tour. They're going to play an eight-song in-studio set on our show, and we get to choose the eight songs. So let's each pick four. We'll go, like, round-robin style. Okay. And that'll be the set list that they play on Hallelujah Monkeys. Can okay? I trade in three of mine and just tack it on to the first one so it's a very, very long extended performance of Sex Murder Party? <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's going to be it's, it's instead going to be a five-song set. Okay, yeah. <laughs> with a very long Sex Murder Party and then I guess I get to pick the other four because you've traded your set. No, right? I'll, I'll, I'll name four. Is it just humans or can we go anywhere? No, we can go anywhere. Alright, so definitely Sex Murder Party. Definitely Sex Murder, sex murder party. party. Let's trade off. I pick... Number two with a bullet. Every point of reach is dead. All right, I'm gonna go charger. Uh, I'm gonna say spitting out the demons. Oh, good one. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to pull for a D side too now. I think it'd be would be really cool to see um, uh, highway under construction. Oh, that'd be such a cool pull, yep. wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, slow country. Let's get a, course, let's get a life slow country. I'm glad you said it because now I don't have to. So right. I'm gonna go with Last Living Souls just because I love. The way Damon always changes up the lyrics a little bit, and it's been great this day. It's been really good this day. It's been it's been good. Uh, he hams it up a little too much for my taste, but I feel like just being in a studio would kind of dial that back. Oh, I loved the kind of like rock star take on it. This day is I don't know. It, it, that's been that's been working for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then my my number four, Trevor, a featuring Benjamin Clementine version of uh, um, some kind of nature. <laughs> fun. That's fun. <laughs> Get him in there. And I think I would have to throw in, since we're, since we're mixing things up now, how about Fire Coming Out of the Monkey's Head with Ben Mendelsohn? Well, that that would be an encore, because that's nine songs. But but I, I say, let's get rid of any of those, except maybe Sex Murder Party. Right, that one, that one has Fire to stay. That one has to stay. Demon's Holiday. <laughs> Demon's Holiday, coming soon to Hallelujah Monkeys in our dreams. Uh, okay, subheading, Trevor. Dirty Harry, The Dust Up in the Desert. Summary. After some politically-minded retooling, Gorilla's film on location in Namibia, which was about as headachey as, as you might imagine it was, Murdoch gets uh, five stars instantly in Grand Theft Auto by stealing an army convoy and uh, conspires with Jamie Hewlett about something or other. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Okay, don't get me wrong. I actually really enjoyed this chapter, probably more than the other music video-centered chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh it felt like a really good blend of like behind the scenes stuff and lore stuff to me. I like how Russell describes Dirty Harry as an anti war song or a pro peace track, depending on how you look at it. Right, semantics. Yeah. Uh, and then we meet a lore character, the Brangelina, a two headed, beer swilling Namibian sex beast. Oh, yeah. What the fuck was this? <laughs> I think they were taking a, a crack at, at Brad and Angelina going to Africa to adopt children a lot. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And suggesting that they were in the next hotel room over, like drinking and fucking loudly. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I also like the heading here. The heading of this chapter is, I love it when my quotes are blown up really big. Murdoch Nichols. Of course, yeah. Just just Cass having fun now. Cass is having some good time. This feels like it had happened early on in a writing session rather than late in a writing session. To me. I actually think this might be a later one just because here he like no longer kind of like gives much of a fuck and he's just saying like, how can I make this fun for me? Yeah, for example, by saying that when 2D does his, his hand bird thing, that he's referencing one of his favorite movies, Napoleon Dynamite. Can yeah. you imagine, like, Jamie Hewlett must have been so angry about that. 
I love also in this chapter we get a good couple shots at other bands, not even shots, just references to them in funny ways. Like um, we get uh the lantern jawed rapper Fifty Cent. There's um Captain James Blunt, which is a great throwback to Murdoch saying, you know, he's in the army. He can kill a tune with his bare hands. He can kill a tune with his bare hands. I love it. And then, of course, a new band called Oasis. A new band called Oasis. Okay, quickly before we get to their release, which all that stuff is from, I guess I could do a discussion question. Uh, The Dirty Harry kids are now all in their early 20s. So do you think that we could get one of them on the show or have all of them entered their gorillas aren't cool anymore phase? Good question. How long before one of them starts a podcast, right? Right? Oh, that'd be some stiff competition, I'd right? love to know what it was really like on the set of that shoot, though. Me too. Or or at any of the, the Demon Days live performances yeah. or, or in studio. I'd like to hear from any of those kids. Some of them are still working with the band for the live dates now, right? And they look pretty good. Like They look good. Yeah. A lot of this stage makeup. The subheading: Dare released summary. In spite of t- stiff competition, as you as you mentioned yes. from a new band called Oasis, <laughs> Dare hits number one in the UK, and Murdoch celebrates by having one of his friends beaten at random. I do love that. I, this is not this is a slight chapter, but I love how Murdoch celebrates his victory by picking somebody out of the Rolodex and having them beaten for his amusement. I mean, that's what I do. <laughs> Not a lot else to say about this chapter cover except for a discussion question. Um, Dare only got to number 87 on the US Hot 100 as opposed to its UK number one. So why don't Americans give a shit about soccer or Boxing Day or dance music or We Got the Power or any of those things that our British counterparts seem to love? What's What's fundamentally different about the outlook that makes us not like that shit? Well, I think a big part of it comes from that whole divide when it comes to language like we don't call places you go to dance discos we call them clubs and we don't call soccer football we call it soccer that's a good point and then because we call it clubs you associate it with a different kind of music than you would you know yeah that's very insightful trevor subheading manchester international festival summary uh, to avoid an awkward double booking, Gorillaz enlist Damon Albarn to spearhead one of the most elaborate tribute band performances in history in a series of triumphant and transcendent concerts that to this day still feel like kind of a culmination of the whole Gorillaz project to me. It was a great, this was a great moment for the band. Yeah, for sure. And it's given it a loving retelling uh, in this in this book. Cass even starts the section out by saying, this is a good one, check this out. And at one point, he gets to talk about himself. He were Cass Brown on Cass Brown, he calls himself a mouthy genius whose name frequently eludes me. So like that. That's really yeah. good. That's very Lemony Snicket. It is, right? Yeah. Uh, let me say this about Cass Brown. For all of our kvetching about little quirks and stuff, for, for a somewhat amateur writer to come in with a, a project of this scope, he did a really fine job, in my opinion. I, think, I mean, I think he wrote Cass the Gorillaz Bible. Yes, exactly. Not a simple undertaking. It's and a Herculean task. For sure. And, and you know, as, as homeworky at times as it has been for us to report on, I can only imagine what it was like going back through all of this shit oh, to geez, try yeah. to figure out what did Murdoch do on that night that they didn't win a Brit Award? <laughs> But, like, the Manchester shows, oh, my gosh. Like, I could wax about these forever. Like, I I consider myself very, very, very lucky to have seen an Apollo show. And I got to say, this is is the moment for me in the Gorillaz canon, I think. Like, 
those shows, the flashing light up screens, everybody in silhouettes, a relatively intimate venue, just incredible. I feel like I'll never get to experience something like that ever again. And I love the new gorilla shows, but they're just, man, this was it. Yeah, at the time, I remember feeling them feeling very outside looking in and being disappointed that there wasn't a traditional tour, and it certainly would have been awesome if there was a traditional tour, but it, what we have is so nicely documented with the Demon Days live concert film that it, it does kind of feel more egalitarian than it did at the time mm -hmm. in terms of, like, letting you, Joe Fan, in on this kind of magical experience, you know? Right. And just the way they uh, played the album straight through, it made it really seem much more like a uh, performance of a piece rather than a traditional concert. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and we've mentioned it before, but the, but the, the encore is kind of so thoughtfully and perfectly selected. With yes, like yeah. Hong Kong being kind of the song that's the most directly about that train, train ride that, that inspired the album. So kind of like a, a theme piece to, to cap the album off. And then uh, such a lovely tribute to Ibrahim Ferrer with that live version of, of Latin Simone. And you know, it would have been so easy for them to like slot Clint Eastwood in there just to have that big finale, but right, I think it right. really shows a lot of restraint and dedication to this, the mood of this part of the project that they didn't do that. They didn't play that. They didn't play one of their biggest hits. They just wanted to play Demon Days and this tribute to, you know, one of the people that Damon obviously felt very lucky to be able to work with. Uh, I do have a discussion question for you, though, Trevor. Cass really missed an opportunity, in my opinion, to give us an in-universe reason why MF Doom couldn't make it to these shows. Uh, so I want you to pick, like, a minor gorilla's antagonist from this book so far who you imagine would have, like, kidnapped MF Doom on his way to this show. You can't kidnap MF Doom. You think that would work? Anybody who wants to mess with MF Doom... They've got to go through, like, an army of Doombots first. Oh, that's a good point. I was thinking, like, maybe Wurzel stole his mask? Possibly. Why? Here's the question. Why didn't MF Doom just send one of his imposters to these shows? That's my discussion question. Would that be better <laughs> or worse than him just showing up on a screen? There's, like, a whole subset of Doom historian who, like, who, who go through every image, every live image of an MF Doom appearance, like it's a frame from the Zapruder film. Yeah. Trying trying to figure out if it was really MF Doom or one of his, like, stand-ins. That's been a running joke for me. Whenever I see somebody talking about MF Doom, I'll just comment, like, that that's not Doom. <laughs> right, right. Subheading cover, the EMAs live from Libsyn. Summary, while Passion Pictures works on a groundbreaking performance that will blend real-life musicians with their animated counterpart, Murdoch struggles to explain the Pepper's ghost illusion, and Borat makes a cameo. Okay. The Pepper's ghost thing, I feel like I read this twice. I have no idea why they're talking about it. Pepper's ghost is that is what they use to project the holograms. Yes, it's the it's a classic illusion. The, the simplest version of it involves smoke and mirrors and light. Uh, you can also use a, a thin film, which is, I think, what they used on both of these uh, appearances. And so, canonically, why are the gorillas holograms here? Because they blend that a lot, especially in the live performance stuff when Passion Pictures comes to talk about their thing. Like, they want to have their cake and eat it, too, between lore and behind-the-scenes nonsense. And, I mean, Murdoch does, you know, consistently refer to himself as a cartoon throughout this book. I guess. It's just... this. 
This is the part where I go cross-eyed. Yeah, I get it. It does feel like a slight step over that line to me, too. Do you, do you remember the part in the book, though? Like, where do they say why they're using this technology instead of just performing at the EMI, EMAs like a regular band? No, they don't. They just immediately launch into Passion Pictures with planning an ambitious new thing. Weird. I do really like Murdoch's sketches of the uh, Pepper's Ghost thing. Do you think that was... Do you think that's a holdover from when they were actually working this project at? Do you think this is an actual little Jamie sketch we're looking at? Maybe it could be. I do love Murdoch trying and failing to explain that, that yeah. thing. Yeah. That's a little little of it. It's very funny. Uh, okay, I got a great discussion question for you, Trevor. Would you support a world in the near future in which gorillas are released uh, into the wild as autonomous artificial intelligence beings who can be responsible for their own creative output as a band without any input from uh, Damon or Jamie? Yes, because I would really love to see what the relationship with Damon and Jamie would look like. Oh, right. What would happen when they're no longer in charge of these, and these guys are just running around doing their own thing? My only fear is, like, if they have corporeal forms, like, I'm a little bit scared to be living in a world where Murdoch Nichols is running free. Yeah. What a, something Damon Albarn keeps coming up in this book, and it really is a shame because he's billed as, like, you know, being a, a long-standing friend of gorillas, and he's always helping them out. You know, how did Murdoch repay him? By stealing his demos and making an album. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true, right? Yeah. But maybe maybe if they were made sentient beings, like Murdoch would try to kill Jamie Hewlett for giving him an abusive childhood, like he would blame him for anyway. Who knows, man? The mind reels. Subheading: Gorillas MTV crib. Summary: Cass Brown does his best to convert the sentence MTV did an episode of Cribs about Murdoch and Khan Studios into a few pages worth of content because that is his solemn task. Oh. Like, I just, like, sorry, dude. I just watched this. I'm not going to read it. And he doesn't even really recap it. No. Like, he doesn't even feel the need to really do that. He does give a little shout-out to that picture of Murdoch cutting an onion. <laughs> he does. I do appreciate that. And I also like uh, Murdoch at one point says, it's, it's gone beyond a joke now. I can say anything I want and people just clap. Which made me think of Murdoch as being kind of a proto-Trumpian figure. Oh, you know? Totally. Oh my god. Why wasn't that the um, Phase 4 arc? Murdoch running for Prime Minister? Oh, that would have been great! Oh my gosh! <laughs> this opportunity! Seriously. Uh, discussion question. Legit, in Phase 4, where do gorillas live? The spirit. Not the spirit house. <laughs> I don't know. Because it could be the spirit house, or it could be whatever that weird building that the app is in. Right. They got evicted from the Do You Thing video, although I'm not sure if that's even canon anymore. Is that even canon anymore? And mm. then maybe there's some talk in the book of stories about something else. I'm very confused. I mean, I assume it's I assume it's the space we get to look into using the app. That's got to be it. I don't know what that space is, though. Weirdly, there's a lobby in that app that's with a sign that says Kong Studio. So what's going on there? Maybe they're back. Know, Maybe they're back. Yeah, but Kong Studios, well, we'll get to it. But yeah, we'll Kong get to Studios it. is like not a thing right. anymore. Who knows? I don't know. Confused. The new Kong Studios. Uh, subheading, Murdoch gives the Queen's speech. Summary, Murdoch uses his audience of over 100 million viewers to slag off James Blunt, and Cass Brown indulges in that great New Year's tradition of picking through yet more old gorillas press just like why is there so much of that in this book trevor like i get there's year endless i get that there were year endless and that some of them had demon days on it i get it i think they were running out of material by this point i don't know but Cass seems like he's willing to write endlessly about that kind of stuff to me i think he's just appreciative of having things to write about um maybe, this maybe james blunt thing what do you make of that they really like they refer to him as the old whipping boy like gorillas feels like a band that takes a lot of shots at other celebrities for being run by a dude who like was once 
who Oasis once wished on national TV would get AIDS and die. You have so perfectly teed up my discussion point. Okay. Now that James Blunt is long forgotten, who do you imagine would be Murdoch's musical punching bag in 2017? It's got to be Ed Sheeran, right? Well, I was thinking Ed Sheeran, like, was number one on the literal list that I made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, number two, could you imagine Murdoch jumping on the Drake hate bandwagon? Oh, God, that would be so fun. Oh, is, my gosh. Being the, being the sort of sensitive love lord rapper, is <sighs> that... Does that collect Murdoch's ire? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I think either of those boys could, could deal with a few pot shots from, from Murdoch and Face Forest. Please. Yeah, I don't know, though. I don't know. Why James Blunt? I mean, I remember that time. I remember when, when James Blunt was, like, everything that was wrong with pop music or whatever at that in that era. He had, like, one song, didn't he? Yeah, he did. It was a big hit. It was a big, big hit. Yeah. But then it was gone. It's something about effeminate men. I guess. The way that, like... Potentially out of control, partying young women pop stars like are dealt with in a very sinister way by our culture. It seems like effeminate male pop stars get the same treatment. Who knows? Yeah, I mean James Bond. Uh, chapter twelve: The Light at the End of the Tunnel, which is which is a pretty, I think, a pretty good title for the last chapter of this gorilla's book. Yeah, totally summarized my feelings. Yeah, this time, didn't it? Uh, subheading: Grab a Grammy. Summary, gorillas do a live mashup with Madonna, go to a party at Dennis Hopper's, win a Grammy, and go to an after party at Madonna's house. Uh, Kara Speller is back. Come on the show, Kara. We'd like to talk to you. Please. A lot of, lot of uh, Dennis Hopper stuff here. Yeah, I like Murdoch's kind of oddly uh, self-aware line. Of, it was very generous of Dennis to allow me and my scumbag mates into his house. <laughs> They must have. They must have really enjoyed working with him. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, you get the sense that especially like Cass and Jamie were very excited mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. Know? Murdoch also says "fuck Jughead" in this. Uh, right. In this chapter. Right. <laughs> that 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 shot of Dennis Hopper's party we got is really interesting as well. Just some kind of purple Muppet going off of a diving board into an empty <laughs> yeah, pool. What's going on there? <laughs> what a weird image. <laughs> This is actually, I think this chapter has one of my, one of Cass Brown's finest moments, in my opinion, where he does, like, this fun, kind of, fourth wall-breaking uh, topic juggling at the end of the chapter, where he, where Murdoch is like, what's this about the Brits? And then Cass is like, oh, sorry, I didn't mention it, you're due on stage for the Brits on the next page. Right, yeah, that is pretty good. <laughs> I like that, that was yeah. fun. Discussion question, fuck, Mary kill, the Grammys, the Oscars, and the Emmys. Emmys would be kill. Right. Grammys would be fuck. Right. Oscars would be marry. Ooh, you're such a star fucker. Okay. <laughs> so many. Well, I feel like out of the three, the Oscars kind of have the most, like, actual clout. And I think the Emmys are, are maybe slightly more legitimate than the Grammys, but they're also way boringer. Right, yeah. At least the Grammys are usually, like, a shit show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, subheading, Brit Award. Summary. Passion Pictures unveiled another elaborate live visual, this time on screens for Dirty Harry, and Murdoch swings some shit on the Kaiser Chiefs because Gorillas failed to win any awards yet again. Shoot the Runner. Wait, no, that was Ru- Kaiser Chiefs did Ruby, right? Shoot the Runner was Kasabian. Bring, bring some Ruby up in the mix. I love that one. Okay, let's bring it up. Here it is! Ruby, 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 Ruby! Remember? Remember that hot hit? No, you don't. You're all, you're all 15. You that was a good one. The days of Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> But no, seriously, the money was, like, really flowing back then, wasn't it? They were, like, we yeah. were, like, deep into this phase, and they were making these elaborate new live visuals with 
fully animated band members and things like that. Can you imagine Phase 4 Gorillas being asked to perform at, a, at an award show? No, I can't. What would that even look like? Mm. Would it be the live band? Yeah, it would be. It would probably be the live band. In a year, it might be holograms, fingers crossed. But it, right, it, yeah. I have a discussion question for you. Hit me with it. You, Trevor Ickraft, die suddenly without any true mortal sin on your soul, but without having repented. So you have to trudge through purgatory, uh, which is going to manifest to you in the form of a 50,000-page grimoire of nothing but chapter after chapter detailing gorillas unveiling a technically impressive new live performance of the Brit Award and then failing to take home a Brit Award. Didn't I already do that? Wasn't, was, wasn't, because this section seemed like it. How many of those chapters, Trevor, can you make it through before you accept Jesus Christ as your savior in the hope that it will shorten your sentence? I'm, I'm pretty resilient, I think, <laughs> but I would say three tops. Probably, yeah, one more, and that'd be it. How far do you think we, we get into the process by, uh, by chapter three? Do I have to write discussion questions for all of them? Because that's my real nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're getting onto the very we're we're entering endgame territory here. Yeah, home stretch, home stretch, guys, look alive. Uh, subheading: The setup summary. Jimmy Manson is revealed as the man behind the botched assassination attempt on the detour, but Murdoch redirects his plans towards his own plan to kill the other three gorillas on the set of their next music video, an act of revenge for Jimmy, who was turned away from auditioning to be their guitarist back in Phase 1, and an opportunity for Murdoch to launch his solo career. I hate this. Eh, it's not great. I hate this, and, like, pretty much from here on, Rise of the Ogre is bad to me. Like, sorry, I don't like the book anymore. It has, like, one redeeming factor, which we'll get into in the next chapter. Yeah. Me. This is, like, the this is every phase of Gorillas for me so far, too, because they set up everything. The first two-thirds of the phase are great, then and they the try to do a little more, and it, they land on their face. The only exception to the rule would be weird mid-phase stuff like like nine one one and do your thing, which I think right. is both pretty cool. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the text is not a hundred percent clear about this, but I think it's heavily intimated that Jimmy Mantham has uh, Alfred C. Clinker, Paula Scambaccio, Paula Cracker, uh, Doctor Wardle, Grassy Knoll, the Doppelgangers, and the Blonde Banshee all killed. I think that's what they're saying. Something like that. Yeah, he gets so, them taken care of. So they're so they're gone. Let's do all the gorillas' peripheral antagonists. Yeah, all, all knocked off. Uh, discussion question, Trevor. If David Albarn dies tragically, do you think we'll at least get seaside out of it? That's never coming. You gotta let go of that one, man. You don't think they would do it as a legacy thing because everybody's no. sad that Damon's dead? That's the only no. way I could imagine it coming. No, I mean, come on. They didn't. Even, they didn't issue Demon Days. They didn't reissue Demon Days for its tenth year anniversary. You really think they're gonna go digging through? Like Damon's trash and finding the seasides. Oh, I suppose not. I suppose it's not, not. going to happen. Damon Albarn, you live to see another day. Subheading: El Manana, El Extremo. Summary: A gorilla's video goes into production under false pretenses. Jimmy Manson stows away in the windmill with loaded firearm. An epic action sequence is shot, and when the dust clears, Noodle is missing. And the mood here is not fun anymore. No, like it doesn't have that kind of comic, like Python-esque kind of mood to it anymore. It's just, ooh, suspenseful. But it doesn't have the the other misstepping tone of the actual Amanana video, which is, like, austere and sad. Right. So it's still, it feels more gorillazy to me than the actual music video, so I guess the only positive thing I can say about this is that I 
thinking about the stuff happening on the set of the El Manana music video slightly improves the El Manana music video for me because I don't like it so much. Maybe. This whole end section, I feel like, pretty mad about. Pretty mad. Hmm. Uh, here's a discussion question, though. Would you be opposed to Jamie ending the Gorillaz Project permanently by having the band die in a video if it was handled with more of, like, a Gorillaz appropriate tone? It's not my ideal ending for the project, no. I feel like it might be if it was handled in, like, a sickly funny way, you know? Here's something I would have been okay with. I would have been okay with Elmanina killing off Noodle and Android Noodle being a legit character. Right, like they're just a robot in the band now forever. That would have been maybe ballier. I think that would have been a pretty ballsy move. Uh, but then we have a gear shift. The, the, the book isn't all bad, because there's another chapter, or another subheading here. Uh, New York Apollo Show, summary. After a slightly weird gear shift in mood, uh, Murdoch gets naked for Motorola and goes toe-to-toe with an ancient and terrible electrical system just so that he can play a special show for his most important fan, Baby Trevor Ikrit. Hi, Baby Trevor, it's me, your friend from the forum. I'm older and fatter now. I hope you have fun at Demon Days Live. Also, the kid with guns and Elmanana on a double A side comes out in a story. I was there. Yeah. You were there. You were yeah. there. Yeah, just like James Murphy himself, I was there. Uh, I, I actually had totally forgotten, Trevor, that the, that the live visual didn't work on the first Apollo show. I forgot, too. That was the show I tried to get tickets for, but I couldn't. Had to go the night after. Dodged a bullet. Dodged a bullet. I got the full girls' experience. I can't imagine how much that must have sucked. Oh my gosh. At the time, like, I remember it being a huge controversy. Yeah, that sucked. Like, sorry guys. That really must have sucked. But I mean, as they point out, the, the New York Apollo is an old building with a very mm-hmm. old system. Maybe should have shown up a week early? Maybe. Something like that. Possibly. Possibly. It might have helped. I love that shot of them in front of the Apollo as well. And I love the little the little interviews with the collaborators uh, talking about what the Gorillaz Project meant to them. This is a great chapter. Yeah, there's a, this is a nice one to have so far at the back. Like, it's just a lot of outpouring of love in this middle of kind of like this really other not-so-much-fun stuff going on. Yeah, this kind of briar patch of, of lore chess piece maneuvering. But here it feels like uh, Cass is kind of wrapping up the musical side of the project and putting a bow on it. Yeah, this is almost like the real ending of the book, sort of. Yeah. Uh, discussion question. I'd like you to reach back into your memory and give me just, like, one highlight from your Apollo Demon Days life experience. Um, when they were performing White Light and everyone was going nuts, uh, if you looked up to the balcony, you saw that um, whoever was working the puppets was rocking out with them. Oh, that's badass. That's great. Yeah, that was fun. That was very cute. Uh, okay, Trevor, we're done. Save for this last subsection, the aftermath. Right. Summary. In a double cross, Murdoch sets Jimmy Manson up to die in the windmill while Noodle perishes to safety uh, to go to the Maldives for R&R. Meanwhile, Con Studios begins to disintegrate and the, bad, the band scatters like dust in the wind. It kind of drags on, like Murdoch sort of very matter-of-factly explains the big twist. Yeah. Robs it of whatever impact it was supposed to have, I guess. I really do like um, when they're talking about Jimmy Manson getting stuck in the um, windmill. He's, he Murdoch sees him banging on the window screaming, it's locked, and then Cass writes, Murdoch nodded enthusiastically, and this time gave Jimmy the full Macca, a complete double <laughs> thumbs up McCartney salute. <laughs> he slowly mouthed the words, I know! 
<laughs> I really like that. That's that really funny. good. And yeah. also, now that we know that, that El Manana does contain real footage of human death in it, you could theoretically include it in the Faces of Death compilation on YouTube. Yeah. Snuff films. Snuff films. I, I don't, I'm very not impressed by the confrontational tone cast takes on here. First things first, Nichols. What have you done with Noodle? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, here's what I like. I like that Murdoch Nichols exits this book uh, whistling the baseline from Feel Good Inc. Like that's, that's a very nice touch. That's very, very it's perfectly gauche for, for yeah. uh, Murdoch Nichols to do something like that. Like, let's talk about Noodle here. She survived the whole El Manana thing, right? Yes. And she went on to do what? Hang out in the Maldives? Is that still canon? I don't know, and I don't think so. I think we'll, okay. know, very, we'll, we'll know very quickly when we get to Murdoch's Pirate Radio about that. I hope so, because I really cannot remember. I well, feel like there are three <laughs> different stories about what happened to Noodle here. Yeah, it's like Genesis, two creation stories versus yeah. phase two, three endings. Um, and you know, Murdoch is a very unreliable narrator. He's And so is Cass Brown at times. Uh, mm-hmm. They leave, intentionally leave a loose end, like, end about the helicopters, why, yeah. who, was, who was piloting the helicopters, what was up with the helicopters, and then we kind of tease on that with like a broken uh, uh, radio transmission from Noodle, who's like trying to warn the band that some figure knows where they are and is coming for them. Mm-hmm. I distinctly remember that not paying off into anything. I mean, maybe the Boogeyman? Something? Mm. The Pirates? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. And that's Rise of the Ogre. Yeah, and I got a discussion question to end this whole journey with you. Sure. Uh, I'd like to hear you give Rise of the Ogre a letter grade and a one-sentence review. I'll do mine first. Uh, letter grade B, and my one-sentence review is uh, great for fans, casuals needn't bother. All right, so mine's a little different, actually. I chose to give it an A-, minus, and my one-sentence review is both exhaustive and exhausting, Rise of the Ogre is dessert for longtime Gorillaz fans and an excellent potential primer for anyone looking to learn a little more about the band's history and lore. That's a good point. That's a good point. The real function of this book is if you like the albums and decide, I want to get into this nerd shit, that's yeah. what this book is for. Exactly. And I know people, like I've actually specifically spoken to some, a few people who've listened to this podcast who weren't particularly big into the cartoon side of Gorillaz who said like, yeah, you know, I actually thought it was really interesting seeing all the all the how deep this goes. It certainly does go deep, and we're going to do our best, Trevor, to conclude this story next week uh, with our with our final lore recapping episode of this season. Uh, we'll see, we'll see. As we know, Phase Three kind of exploded in their faces, but we'll see if if, if we feel like it comes to a close. Yes, yeah, so we're going to be covering uh, Murdoch's Pirate Radio, and the and we're going to be uh, discussing the Book of Gorillas series, which they posted to Instagram. Proceeding humans at the start of Phase Four, that, that was the thing. Uh, right. Until then, please get in touch with us. You can reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube, Instagram, Amino. We have a Gmail. We have our uh, a Discord. You can write us a review on iTunes, and uh, and please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation on Patreon. Thank you again. To our listeners who have done so already, we really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And um, until next week, I'm Trevor Ickrath. And I'm Dylan Flynn. Don't get lost in heaven. Demo. Just hold on, going home. Just hold on, going home.